Okay, can you hear me? Is that too, that's too loud. Is that too loud? Is there a way? Okay, yeah. This could be hard because I usually get louder. So I'm just not, I'm going to try not to. Okay. If you have your Bible, we're going to be in Malachi. Malachi. Uh, uh, if you like history, uh, you should really love this lesson. We're going to talk a lot about history. Um, it's important because otherwise the book of Malachi doesn't really make any sense at all. It's four chapters long. It's small. We're going to talk about why it's placed in the Bible where it is. It's the very last book of the Old Covenant. Very last book. So we're going to talk about why it is where it is. Um, talk, we're going to talk about why it's a minor prophet. Uh, we're going to talk about who wrote the book of Malachi or who we think wrote the book of Malachi. And uh, hopefully through all that history, you'll come to a deeper understanding of what this letter means and how it applies to the Jews and how it also applies to you. Um, we're going to be talking a lot about God. And I want to make sure, um, and I hope, that I say everything correct about him. You know, it's hard enough to talk about somebody when they're not in the room. It's even harder to talk about somebody when they're in the room. <laughs> and God is here with us, and I'm going to be saying a lot of things about him. So let's go to him in prayer and make sure everything I say is correct, okay? Let's pray. God, we love you so much. Thank you for being our Father. Thank you for choosing us, uh, not because we're good, uh, because you made us and you love us, regardless. We thank you for that. God, help me tonight. I'm going to be saying a lot of things about you, and I pray they are all correct. Um, there's a lot of things we don't understand about you, so we do ask for your help. And above all, God, help us to love you more, help us to love each other more. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so lots of history. Um, let's, let's start with that before we get to the book of Malachi. Um, the Jewish people, um, even before the time of Christ, were in so many wars, it's hard to count the number of them. Uh, they were killed so many times, we lose track of the number of people who died. They were enslaved by so many different groups of people, it's hard to imagine that they even still exist, except for the hand of God. And so we're going to do a little bit of history here, talk about all those people. Um, I'm not starting in the beginning, uh, but I hope you get a good understanding. The first um, group that we're going to talk about that took control of the Israelite nation, the Jewish nation, are the Egyptians. Um, I appreciate everybody who was able to be in that class Wednesday night when we partook of the Passover. It's one of my favorite classes that I ever got to do, and I'm glad you were there with me. And if you were in that class, that whole class was about the Jewish people were in a foreign land. They were slaves, hundreds of thousands of Jews. We don't know how many died underneath the hand of the Egyptians. Um, we know that God chose Moses, a prophet, to go and save them. Moses didn't know what he was doing. God helped him. 
we think the year that that happens, and if you can keep track of this or you want to write it down, this will help you. We think the year is 1,300 years before Jesus. 1,300 years before Jesus, when Moses frees the Israelite people from bondage from the Egyptians. Um, how many people? How many people were there? Uh, from Exodus chapter 12, verse 37, and some others, some other passages, we learned that it was 600,000 men from 20 years old and up. That was the number of just the men older than 20. 600,000. Uh, as far as I know, that, that's bigger than Knoxville. Much bigger than Knoxville. What, what number would you say Knoxville's at right now? Yeah, 250,000, is that a fair? 280, we'll say 300, okay? Twice the size of Knoxville imprisoned. And that's just the men. If you add up everybody, the babies, the young people, the women, it's over one million people some say two million people is who Moses led out of Egypt into the wilderness. And it is a fact that that desert could not support two million people. Could not. Only God could. There wasn't enough stuff there for them. So they find the promised land. Over one million people find the promised land with Moses but they're too scared to go in. All but two are too scared to go in. Uh, if you read Numbers chapter 14, verse 29 and on, it says, because of doubt, because of the doubt, many people died. Everyone who was older than 20 died in the desert over the next 40 years. Say that again. We have one million, some say two million people, everyone who was older than 20 died in the desert over the next 40 years. All of them. Conservatively, they say 600,000 people died in the desert. Maybe that's the number of 20 and older. 600,000. They never saw the promised land because they were too scared to go in. Moses dies as well. He almost made it. He looks into the promised land. It's a wonderful passage. I hope you get to read it. It's amazing. It, the Bible says that God buried Moses. God himself. So the year is 1,250 years before Jesus. Joshua is now the prophet after Moses dies. Joshua leads the people into the promised land. Along with them are hundreds of thousands of babies, young people who were born in the wilderness. Their numbers didn't just drop off. Yes, 600,000 people died, but they, they had babies in the deserts, and all that new generation goes into the promised land. The year is 1,000 years before Jesus. 
And instead of having a prophet like Moses, instead of having a prophet like Joshua, now Israel, the Jewish people, are ruled by kings. And you know some of their names. King Saul, King David, King Solomon. For 500 years, kings ruled over Israel. And after King Solomon dies, there's two kingdoms. To the north is Israel, to the south is Judah. They're divided. They're not united anymore. The Assyrians, 740 years before Jesus, defeat the northern kingdom of Israel. 20 years later, they try, um, they had this, uh, this siege for like three years, and they, um, they conquer Samaria. So all of Israel, the northern part, is now being ruled by the Assyrians. And after they, they conquer Samaria, uh, you may know this, but the descendants of those people we now call Samaritans. Because that's where the northern country is. That's where a huge city named Samaria is at. If you're from that area, you're a Samaritan. So when the Bible talks about Samaritans, that's what we're talking about. To the south is Judah, and those people were called Jews. 700 years before Jesus, the Assyrians try to capture Judah, but they can't. They aren't successful. The year is around 609 before Jesus. The Egyptians try to go through Judah. They want to connect with the Assyrians because there is a new enemy in town called the Babylonians. So Judah makes an alliance with Egypt so that maybe by making an alliance with Egypt, the Babylonians won't kill them. But in the year 603, Nebuchadnezzar II, the king of the Babylonians, defeat Egypt. They capture Judah. In the year 601, the Jews saw an opportunity, said we can defeat Nebuchadnezzar we don't have to be underneath his rule anymore. So they go ahead and they make a deal. They try to revolt. It doesn't work. They think around 10,000 Jews are exiled to Babylonian at that moment, including Ezekiel. Judah, the Jews, try to make another alliance with Egypt. It doesn't work. In fact, the prophet Jeremiah, in Jeremiah chapter 42, told, told them, don't make a deal with Egypt. Don't do it. This is the, the verse. Jeremiah 42, 19. Listen, you remnant of Judah. The Lord has told you, don't go to Egypt. Don't forget this warning that I have given to you today. But they did it anyways. Nebuchadnezzar finds out that Judah made an alliance with Egypt. So Nebuchadnezzar puts more people in captivity, sends more people to Babylonia. Judah, listen to what I'm about to say here. 
You have the wars with Egypt. You have the wars with the Assyrians. You have the alliances that they try to make with Egypt, the very people who enslaved them, because they don't want the Babylonians, they feared them worse, the Babylonians win anyways, and Judah, Jerusalem, the southern kingdom, almost ceases to exist. That's how many people died. That's how many people were enslaved. The whole country, that, remember what we said when they went from Egypt to the promised land? They had almost two million people. Now they almost cease to exist. That's how many wars they were in. The total number of exiled people is estimated, this is around the year 585 before Jesus, the total number of exiled is estimated to be 18,000 people. 18,000 people. The kingdom of Judah ceases to exist anymore. The temple is completely destroyed. The one million plus Jews that called it home are either dead, are running for their lives, or they are slaves. That's it. Eventually, Persia, another enemy, comes along, defeats the Babylonians. They say, all you Jews, you can go back home. You can leave. Uh, you can read about that in the book of Nehemiah. Uh, in fact, two of the people who were told they could go home was Nehemiah and Ezra. You can go home. You can go back home to Judah. You can go back home and do whatever you want to do. So after 60 years of slaves in Babylon, they think around 50,000 people returned to Judah. They were sent to Babylon. They're enslaved. We talked about maybe 18, 20,000 people. Over 60 years, that number grows to around 50,000 people. They can all go back. You can read that. The reason why we think 50,000 people is because the Bible said so in Ezra chapter 2, verse 64 and 65. You get the number 50,000 Jews return. That's somewhere around the year 538. 100 years later, the book of Malachi is written after that. So the Jews, 50,000 in total, have returned back to Judah, and 100 years later, we have the letter of Malachi. That's everything that happened before. We don't know who wrote the book of Malachi. Um, we know he was a prophet. The word Malachi, by the way, um, it means messenger. That's what it means. We're fairly certain that wasn't somebody's name. Uh, we have no record of anybody ever being named Malachi before this point. So we don't know who wrote it, but we know he was a prophet. Uh, Malachi is a minor prophet only because it's a short book. If you wanted to know that, there you go. Major prophets are big books. Minor prophets are small books, okay? That's why it's where it is. Um, coincidentally, though, it is the very last book of the Old Covenant, and we do think it was the last one written. 
we do think that. Okay, I think that's important. We'll get to that. Um, the theme of Malachi, I want you to remember everything we talked about from the Assyrians to, the, to Babylon, uh, to the Egyptians, to the Persians. The theme, all, remember, all this has happened. They had a brief period of unity with King David and the United Kingdom, but that goes away. They had that for 500 years, and it, and it disappeared, and, and then chaos ensued. So you have all of these, all this death. We have the, the kingdom of Judah almost ceasing to exist. It's almost not even there anymore. 50,000 people return. 100 years later, this book is written. And, and the theme of this book, my, my, the theme that I gave it, okay, you can give it your own theme, but the theme I gave it is this book deals with this question, and the question is, why isn't God helping us? Why isn't God helping us? Why did God allow all these things to happen? Why did God allow all these people to die? Does God love us? Does God care for us? That's the theme of the book. And if you don't know what happened all those years prior, it's not going to make any sense. This isn't somebody who had a bad day. This isn't somebody who maybe lost a family member. These are people who lost, to them, everything. Not once, not twice, not three times, but over and over and over and over. They came back and the temple was gone. It's a, it's a great thing to read when you read Nehemiah and how they tried to they rebuild it and how they went about rebuilding it. It wasn't there anymore. They couldn't make any sacrifices at the temple. Uh, there were no priests there at the temple. It was all gone. And, and it's even more amazing to understand that, that the people who were going back probably had never even lived there because that's how long this had been going on. Remember the people who made it to the promised land? They, they never, they don't even know. They weren't even alive. Okay. Why isn't God helping us? Malachi is it's a beautiful book. It uses this um, question-answer all the time. It's a question-answer, question-answer. Um, it's God's message to the people, and God is going to sit down and answer their questions. He's going to answer them. Do you love us anymore? Do you care for us anymore? Um, this place is, this book, it's a conversation instead of um, like a sermon. It's not a sermon. It's a conversation. And I like this. I like this. We, you and me, can have a conversation with God. We can talk with him. It's not always him talking to us. He allows you to ask him questions, to tell him how you're feeling, to tell him what's going on in your life. It's a conversation. He doesn't dominate it. Let's ask God questions. Number one, he can handle it. Whatever you're going through and whatever question you have, he can handle. I think sometimes we're embarrassed to ask him questions. 
we're afraid that um, our question will make him angry, maybe cause him to be upset with us. Maybe we're embarrassed by our own question. But I hope this book helps you understand that you can have that conversation with God. Tough times have happened and they will happen. And we don't always understand what's happening. But God is a loving Father who wants a relationship with you. Um, So let's look at it, okay? Uh, Malachi chapter 1. I really, really like this verse. Um, It's verse 11. I think it's important for us to start here. So if you will, Malachi chapter 1 verse 11. Um, But my name is honored by people of other nations from morning till night. All around the world, they offer sweet incense and pure offerings in honor of my name, for my name is great among the nations. I think this is what's great about Malachi chapter 1 verse 11. It's more than the kingdom of Judah. You hear what God's saying there? There are people all over the world who worship me. There are people all over who honor me, who pray to me, who talk to me. My kingdom is bigger than just the kingdom of Judah. So I want you to remember that, okay? But let's get to these questions, okay? One of the, one of the questions and one of the conversations that happens um, If you will, I'll go ahead and read verse 1 and verse 2. This is the message that the Lord gave to Israel through the prophet Malachi. Okay, I told you what I think about that. I don't think Malachi is is his name. He's a prophet. We don't know what his real name is. Um, Take that or leave it, but that's my, my thought on that. But here's the truth. Here's the truth. He's the last prophet. This is the last prophet that we know about for 400 years before the next prophet arises. Do you know his name? John the Baptist. For 400 years, there is no prophet. Malachi is the last one. Does does this prophet know that? I don't know. Can you imagine if he did? Can you imagine if he knew, hey, this letter that you're going to write, this conversation that you're writing down for the people of Israel who think God has forgotten them, that God doesn't love them anymore, that, that he, is, he is blessing all these other nations and their nation is destroyed, I want you to write them a letter and this will be the last letter they get for 400 years. What do you say? What do you say? that hasn't already been said. How, and, and this is a big, big thing that I think about as I stand before you, what words do I give to you? What message do I give to you to help you have a greater love for God and help you have a greater love for Jesus that you haven't already ever heard? What am I supposed to tell you? What in the world can I do on that level? And I'm sure the prophet thought the same thing. What am I going to say? And the truth is this, and the truth is the same for me, 
is without God's help, uh, I can do nothing for you. <laughs> I can't. There's nothing I can say without his help. So again, that's why we go to him in prayer, and, and I hope this helps you. But here, here it is, Malachi chapter 1, verse 2. Listen, I told you that I think the theme of this book is, is God, why are, you, why are you letting all these things happen to us? Why have you forgotten about us? Why don't you love us anymore? And this is why I think that's the theme, because the very first thing God says in verse 2 is, I have always loved you. That's the very first words from the prophet in this book that we call Malachi, chapter 1, verse 2. I have always loved you. What what is God going to say to bring his people back? He's going to remind them how special they are and how much he loves them. But that's not the end of the verse. The verse goes on to say, I have always loved you, says the Lord. But you say, really? How have you loved us? And you may think, how could anybody say that? How could anybody say, when God says, I really love you, how can you respond with, really? Do you really love me? I hope all that stuff we talked about at the beginning of this, I hope that helps you answer that question. Because that's, that's all they're thinking about. Is all the struggle and the pain and the hardship and the slavery and the death and the murders and the destruction of their city, the destruction of their homes, that's what they're thinking of. They're saying, okay, God, you love us? How? Because we don't see it. So the Lord says, this is how I showed love to you. And he goes on and he describes how he chose them. And there's a lot that can be said about that. We don't have time to go into Jacob and into God choosing Jacob and, and Jacob later on being called, what was Jacob's name? Changed to Israel. Okay, we don't have time to get into all that. But God opens up this letter, this conversation with, I love you, and let me remind you what I've done for you. This is so important. This is, y'all, I've opened up, and I've said this in some other classes, and maybe you've been in them. I've told you about my struggle with remembering things. I forget things all the time. All the time I forget things. It's a ma- I, I, I don't know how I'm still alive. I... I uh, I forget things on a a very large level. It's really important for me to write things down. It's really important for me to to constantly read over things over and over and over and over and over and over again. Because because number one, I know I will forget. Number two, I'm I'm afraid that I'm going to forget. And this is why it's so important for us, number one, to be together, to remind each other, because we're going to go into this, but we've, I think, and I hope I'm, I don't speak out of turn, I think we all have these questions of, God, do you really love me? God, have you forgotten about me? God, why are you letting this happen? Why did you let this happen? We all have these questions, and we need to be reminded 
about what God's done for you. You need to be reminded. I know it sounds crazy, right? He did it for you. You should know. We forget. You need to be reminded about what God's done for you. This is why, and God knows us because he made us, why he said every week, I want you to think about what Jesus did for you. Every week. Why would God want us to come together every week and think about what Jesus did? Because he knows if we don't, we are going to forget. He knows that. I don't think once a week's enough. <laughs> Not for me. So God says, you don't think I love you? Let me remind you how much I love you. Malachi chapter 1, verse 5. The Lord of the heaven's armies says to the priest, a son honors his father and a servant respects his master. And if I am your father and master, where are the honor and respect I deserve? You have shown contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we ever shown contempt for your name? Sometimes we forget what God has done for us, and sometimes you forget what you have done to God. I think this is um, a big thing that the devil does to us, and it makes us feel like um, our sin isn't that terrible, that what we've done isn't that bad. I think the devil clouds us with that judgment, um, and we forget about that. So, so God says, I really do love you. I know you don't think I do, but I really do love you. Let me show you how. And by the way, you're not honoring me. And the people say, no, 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 no. We do honor you. And God says, no, you don't. Let me show you how you don't. So here goes God saying, you have shown contempt for my name. You say, how have we? How have we done this? Okay. Um, so verse 7 of Malachi chapter 1 says, you have shown contempt by offering defiled sacrifices on my altar. They say, what are you talking about? <laughs> what are you talking about? They forgot. They either forgot or they know exactly what he's talking about. Those are your two options, okay? <laughs> either you know exactly what he's talking about or you forgot, all right? Um, I'm not really sure which one's going on here, okay? <laughs> uh, but they say to God, how have we done that? God answers the question. You have defiled them by saying the altar of the Lord deserves no respect. How have you done that? Verse 8, when you give blind animals as sacrifices, isn't that wrong? And isn't it wrong to offer animals who are crippled and diseased? Try giving gifts like that to your governor and see how pleased he is, says the Lord of heaven's armies. I love how simple God talks, how we can sit here in this room thousands of years later and we understand what that's talking about. God says, you honor me, you love me. I told you, we, we looked at the Passover Wednesday and we talked about the offer of the perfect goat or the perfect lamb that had no blemishes. Hey, Lincoln. <laughs> the perfect animal, okay? And this is what God wanted to be put on the altar. Not only during Passover, okay, but during all these sacrifices that were offered at the temple. And God says, I'm watching you. 
I'm looking at you. You're not doing what I asked you to do. And beyond that, if you did this for regular people, they would hate it. How do you think I feel? So he tells them that he points out where they need to correct themselves. Go to chapter 2. Maybe, um, maybe that's why we don't want to ask God questions, because we're afraid of the response. Maybe we don't want to ask God, uh, God, do you still love me? And then God to ask us, do you still love me? Because this is what I see. And that's what he does here. He responds to them and says, no, I still love you, but do you love me? Because I don't see it. Malachi chapter 2, verse 5. The purpose of my covenant with the Levites was to bring life, to bring peace, and that is what I gave them. This required reverence from them, and they greatly revered me and stood in awe of my name. They passed on to the people the truth of this instruction. They received it from me. They did not lie. They did not cheat. They walked with me, living good and righteous lives, and they turned many from lives of sin. That's the purpose of the Levites. That's the purpose of the priest. That was the purpose of offering um, perfect animals to God, is turning away from sin and turning to God. That was their purpose. He talks about that. He explains it to him. Look at Malachi chapter 2, verse 10. Malachi 2, 10. Are we not all children of the Father? Are we not all created by the same God? Then why do we betray each other, violating the covenant of our ancestors? Judah has been unfaithful, and a detestable thing has been done in Israel and in Jerusalem. The men of Judah have defiled the Lord's beloved sanctuary, by marrying women who worship idols. So God again goes, I love you, but do you love me? Number one, you're not honoring me like you should. You don't even honor me like an earthly king. Number two, I told you to only be with people who love me and who worship me. And now you're going out and you're marrying people who don't even care about me, who don't even love me. And I told you not to do that, and now you're doing it. Here's another thing you do, verse 13. He keeps going. Here's another thing you do. You cover the Lord's altar with tears, weeping and groaning, because he pays no attention to your offering and doesn't accept them with pleasure. You cry out, verse 14, why doesn't the Lord accept my worship? I'll tell you why. Because the Lord witnessed the vows and your wife made made when you were young, but you have been unfaithful to her, and she remained your faithful partner, the wife of your marriage vows. Let me read that again for you. Verse 14, you cry out, why doesn't the Lord accept my worship? I'll tell you why, because the Lord witnessed the vows you and your wife made when you were young, but you have been unfaithful to her, though she remained your faithful partner, the wife of your marriage vows. So God goes on to say, not only have you been marrying women that you shouldn't have been marrying, some of the people you have married have been faithful to you, but you haven't been faithful to them. You've cheated on them. Okay? Not only does God point this out, I want you to, to understand, like, to the point that he points it out, he, he 
gets to the prophet, he writes it down, and it's a letter that's going to be sent out to everybody. <laughs> Everyone's going to know what you're doing. Okay? It's not a secret anymore. I think it's easier for us to sin when we think nobody's watching. I've always thought that. Um, I, I can go through examples in my life when, when I've been a better follower of God because I, I know that people are watching me and, that, and I understand what's happening. So it's the same thing when Jesus says that we sin more when it's dark outside than when it's light outside. Nobody goes around uh, doing things they shouldn't be doing when they know everyone is watching them do it. So God's going to point out their sin. He's going to put it in a book. He's going to send it out. I know you're cheating on your wives. I know you are. And then he goes on. How does this get compared? Verse 15, didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? And what does he want? He wants godly children. And then verse 16, listen to this. For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. Uh, verse 17, you have wearied the Lord with your words. How have you wearied him, you ask? You have wearied him by saying that all who do evil are good in the Lord's sight, and he is pleased with them. You have wearied him by asking, where is the Lord's justice? So while they were going out, doing whatever they wanted to do, worshiping God however they felt like, sacrificing whatever animals they wanted to sacrifice, number one, why do you sacrifice a crippled animal? Why do you sacrifice a blind animal? Because that animal means nothing to you. You don't care for that animal, so, so you don't care to give it up, okay? Sometimes we do the same thing whenever we give away our possessions. Some, and I do, I'm not throwing shade at anybody, but sometimes we give things away because they're, we don't want them anyways, okay? It doesn't hurt you to give it away because you don't want it. What is difficult is to give away things that you love and you cherish, but you give it away anyways because you know it's going to help somebody else more, okay? That's the whole purpose of sacrifice. It's not a sacrifice if you don't want it to begin with. How have you wearied him? You've wearied him by saying that all who do evil are good in the Lord's sight, and he is pleased with them, and you have wearied him by asking, where is the God of justice? So while they're doing all this, while they're cheating on their wives and just continue to cheat, and it becomes a, a, such a thing that God speaks through this prophet, and, and now the prophet is trying to correct the issue, the people are saying, God, you don't, you don't care about us, God. All of these other nations, the Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Egyptians, they're all, they're all building up. They're bigger than us. You don't care about us. Why don't you go out and destroy them? That, that's, that's what they think. Where is the God of justice? And God is saying, in a sense, instead of worrying about what all these other people are doing, how about you love me? How about that? Let's go to the next chapter. Chapter 3. We're just going to look at a few verses here before we move on and uh, conclude the lesson. This is really important, everybody. Uh, probably the most important part, so if you haven't been paying attention, let's go. All right? Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. Look, 
I am sending my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Then the Lord you are seeking will suddenly come to this temple. The messenger of the covenant, whom you look for so eagerly, is surely coming, says the Lord of heaven's armies. This is the, the big climax. Um, this exact passage that we just read is, is set again in a different way. So go to Malachi chapter 4, and we're going to read the very last verses of this conversation that the prophet is writing down between the people of Israel and God Almighty. So again, all these terrible things that God knows about has happened to the people of Judah, to the, to the nation of Israel, um, things that I don't think we can even imagine. So they're, they're very angry, they're very upset, um, they don't see the love of God. God writes this entire conversation to say, no, I, I do still love you, but I need you to love me. I need you to love me. All that is said, and we, we opened up the class by saying, what, what do you say when you're the last prophet for 400 years? What do you say? What do you say to give the people hope? What do you say to turn the people's hearts? Because here's, here's the reason, here's the reason for us even being here tonight. How do you turn people's heart away from sin and to Jesus? How do you turn people's heart away from themselves and to God? How do you do that? Malachi chapter 4, verse 4. There's only, it's only six verses in the last book, last chapter here. Malachi chapter 4, verse 4. Remember to obey the law of Moses, my servant. Remember, remember, remember. How do you remember? You have to read it. How do you remember? You have to talk about it. You got to sing about it. You have to act on it. Remember to obey the law of Moses. You want to turn your heart away from sin? Remember what God has done for you. All the decrees and all the regulations that I gave him on Mount Sinai for all Israel. And then verse 5, look, I am sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. His preaching will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and hearts of the children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. This book, this wonderful conversation, ends with saying that the Savior is coming. The Savior is coming. I know you don't think the Savior is coming because the Savior hasn't come for thousands of years, but the Savior is coming. Elijah is coming. They believe that when Elijah came, Elijah would be, right after Elijah, was going to be the Savior of the world. Uh, again, if you were in class Wednesday, that was the whole reason for saving a seat for Elijah at the Passover table. Because they knew when Elijah came back, the Savior would be right on his coattails. So here, here, 400 years, maybe a little bit more, 450 years before Jesus comes, the last prophet, God writes it down, the very last words, by saying, 
we, they didn't know at that point, but we know today that John the Baptist is coming. Another prophet is coming. And when he comes, he's going to tell all the people, get rid of the sin in your life. Turn your eyes to the Savior. And then one day, John's there baptizing people, talking about forgiveness of sin. The same thing that's written in the last of this book of Malachi. And then John the Baptist sees Jesus and says, there's the Savior of the world who has come to save you. There is your Savior. And so Malachi writes this down by telling the people, don't give up. Don't lose heart. God has not forgotten about you. God loves you dearly, but he wants you to turn from your evil ways and turn to him. And if, and if you turn from your evil ways and you turn from your selfishness and you turn to God and you follow him, you will be saved. You will be. And not just that. I, I love this about Jesus. It's not just everybody who comes after Jesus will be saved. It's everybody who came before Jesus will be saved too. It goes both ways. He'll save everyone. All those people in the wilderness who loved me, yes, they made a mistake, but who loved me, David who loved me, Rahab, who loved me, all these people who, yes, they made mistakes, yes, they had messed up lives, yes, they did terrible things, but they turned away from their sin and they turned towards me, all those people will be saved, and you can be saved, and all the future generations can be saved because the Savior's coming. So that's the book of Malachi, and that's, that's what it's about. Um, that's what the prophet is about. Uh, we don't know who he is, and it doesn't matter. Um, but I hope my message for you tonight is that you remember. I know that you have asked the questions, where is God? I prayed for this person to be healed. God didn't heal him. I prayed for this not to happen, and it happened anyways. This made me so mad, God. I can't believe you did this to me. Why is this happening? We've all asked these questions, and we don't understand it. But have this, have this book remind you that God comes down to you, has that conversation with you, and reminds you what he's done for you. And what he wants from you is for you to love him back. So thank you uh, for being here tonight. Um, how, do we, how do we end this? If you have had questions like this and, um, and you struggle with questions like this and you don't always see God in your life and you need help with that, come forward while we sing.